Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. Finding your dream home is difficult. Financing it with SoFi is easy. Get a mortgage for as little as 10% down and learn more at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply. See SoFi.com slash legal. Loans originated by SoFi Lending Corp. and are not available in all states. NMLS 1121636. This show is supported by Willis Towers Watson. They decode cybersecurity by looking at risks across your company's people, capital, and technology. Willis Towers Watson assesses your vulnerabilities, protecting you with the best-in-class solutions and helping you recover quickly from future attacks. Details at willistowerswatson.com slash recode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who always tries to use Apple Pay at the Microsoft Store, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Patrick Collison, the CEO and co-founder of Stripe, an e-commerce company that allows people and businesses to accept payments over the web. He started the company with his brother John in 2010. He also has the best LinkedIn page, which is full of horrible businessy jargon. Patrick, welcome to Rico Decode. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we wa- we work watching all of you carefully and what you're doing and stuff like that. But <laughs> I'm very excited to have you here because uh, you're one of the more interesting. We've had you on stage at the Code Conference talking about what it's like to run a startup. You obviously have one of the more understated companies, uh, big companies in Silicon Valley, startups at least. Well, we do back-end infrastructure. So yeah, it, well, it I know. get but quite as much attention. Yes, that's true. But we're, it's actually a really important and interesting part of sort of the changing business environment. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about Stripe, besides the fantastic name it has. Give us a little well, we background. We started out with a much worse name. What was it? Uh, slash dev slash payments. And so the only what? way was up. Yes. Really? So, so for folks who write software or who use Unix or Linux or sort of any of these operating systems, you know, they'll be familiar with, yes. I apologize, this is super No, go for it. But go there's for the, um, the Go slash, down that nerd road. There's the slash Run. dev device hierarchy. And so mm-hmm. that's like where, you, you know, your hard drives and your mouse and your audio system, whatever, they're all represented, right? And sort of part of what Unix's breakthrough was, you know, back in the 70s, is that there was this kind of structured, coherent, standardized way to represent all these different heterogeneous devices, right? Mm-hmm. A really straightforward interface for dealing with them. And so when we were sort of thinking about Stripe, you know, although it wasn't called, called Stripe back then, but when we were thinking about this problem space back in the beginning, we were sort of so struck by how needlessly complicated it was, right? And how every different payment system worked a different way and how sort of it was, you know, weeks or months of, of sort of setup complexity because of all the, you know, random, needless differences that, that existed, we thought there really should be just kind of some standardized way of, of, of handling all of this, so, sort of like there is for devices on Linux and, and in, in So Unix. you gave it a needlessly uh, complex name. <laughs> well, a needlessly complicated name that sort of got at the, the, this notion of simplicity that, mm-hmm. that you know, Linux had pioneered. And so slash dev slash payments, if you'd ever you know, written low-level you know, uh, software in Unix, mm-hmm. made, made total sense. You're like, aha, I get it. And then if you, you know, had not, which of course the vast majority of the world hasn't, mm-hmm. um, then it was impenetrable. So you took this into a VC. Uh, so we took it into a VC, and we got the rep- the, the response uh, from them that one would expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, we maybe have a nice meeting where you know, they at least politely sort of listen to um, our entreaties and, and claims and aspirations. And at the end, they'd ask, "So what's it called?" Uh, we would tell them, 
And, uh, you know, it really felt like the meeting started to sort of go south at that moment. Mm-hmm. And then the particular sort of moment that caused us to you know, definitively decide to go and, and change this was um, we had actually checked, being the uh, nerds that we were, that uh, Delaware permitted slash characters in names, right? And mm-hmm. so this, this sort of passed muster with, with um, their rules. But then we discovered that they actually didn't allow a slash character at the beginning. Oh. Uh, and so the company was actually incorporated as S-L-A-S-H-D-E-V-S-L-A-S-H. Payments, et cetera. Right. Um, and then so we no started slashes. to get mail where people were like, you know, a slash character and then spelling out the word. And then it, right. was, it was all a disaster. We had a slash. We got rid of it. Uh, it, it yeah. Uh, that's a good point. I we had to that. remove um, it. So, uh, so anyway. Uh, I loved it, but nobody else did. Ah, so, so we're kindred spirits. Really. Yes, exactly. Uh, right. um, I didn't. Yeah. So, so, so you get the uh, evocative attractions of slashes. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, then we decided we better had to change something else. And we decided we go to the other end of the spectrum, the other extreme, and just like find mm-hmm. a word that everyone knew was easy to spell, ideally one syllable, nothing complicated about it, whatever the polar opposite of, of slash dev slash payments was. And um, we, we, we checked whether a whole bunch of just like single syllable uh, one word domains were available and mm-hmm. Stripe was one that actually turned out to be- And why uh, did you like it? What was the- there was nothing special about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just available. Then uh, credit card Stripe. So people think that. I remember, yeah. I remember That's the first what I time I ever was. met Mike Ovitz. Uh, mm-hmm. He was really impressed by, by by this name and sort of how, how you know, thoughtful it was and sort of you know the analog to the the, mm-hmm. the card Stripe and you know Stripe kind of implies I don't know velocity or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish. Yeah, we, it just we, was we, there. We could claim all what that, was the like, other one? It, it was, was an available dot com domain name. And what was the other? We, one? we were also uh, we, we considered. You know, Stripe is really about builders and mm-hmm. building things and sort of right. creations and so forth, right? And so we, we kind of um, the sort of mental image of a forge, as in like some kind of blacksmith, right. or Something like that was kind of attractive to us. But then we sort of realized that forge had some other connotations, especially when applied to payments. And so right. we sort of dropped that one. Right. Um, and uh, we, we were. Um, I think Forge is one of our names, too. We go to the same naming company, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, we, we could not there. afford a naming company. Yeah. Our, 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 our no, naming company was we'd get back to the office late in the evening, we'd sort of page through random books, mm-hmm. and just like pick out words that sounded like nice words. And so right. I remember John at the time had a motorcycle repair book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and indeed, he had a used motorcycle in the office. But so, he, you know, his go-to book for, for good words would be the, this repair book. And so he'd be like, carburetor. Carburetor. That's a good name. Uh, so explain what you were trying to do, the, the yeah. con- concept of what you, how did you come up with it? You're both, obviously, you have an accent. You're from Ireland. Yes. And what was the concept of what you wanted to do? Sure. Because uh, everyone else was doing kind of very consumer-facing. So. Right, right, right. So by background, uh, both John and I, I guess, had, had been sort of, we didn't think about it this way at the time, but but sort of looking back, uh, we'd always been kind of interested in infrastructure. And so one of the first kind of major programming projects that I worked on when I was growing up in Ireland, um, mm-hmm. uh, sort of back just coding by myself, was a, a programming language. Uh, and then I spent a bunch of time working on a new web framework and sort of just you know, the, the sort of backend things that make it easier to go and you know, build things on top of, to, uh, uh, do other development. We started a, a small a really small startup that you know never really went anywhere, especially significant. Uh, back when we were quite young, I mean, I was I was eighteen or nineteen. John was sixteen or seventeen. Mm-hmm. That company was bought in this kind of small little uh, acqui hire. But through that process, we sort of got familiar, you know, somewhat with sort of the challenges of building a startup, right? Right. Uh, and and in particular, we also got to meet a whole bunch of people who themselves were building startups and you know got familiar with some of the challenges that that, that they encountered. And what was really striking to us back in in two thousand and nine. Was that this is in Dublin? You're still in Dublin. Ah, so we're, we're no, we're in the U.S. at this point. Uh, we're actually at that moment. We were we were both in college in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but a whole bunch of our friends uh, by then were, were were founders or entrepreneurs or people just working on mm-hmm. startups of various sorts. And what was really striking to us was uh, if you if you looked at the App Store, um, you know the iOS App Store mm-hmm. had, had come out 
come about at that point, it was incredibly easy to charge for things. And there were all sorts of people, just like, you know, people like us, people who had built indie apps or, you know, created something on the side sure. or whatever it was, they were generating some, you know, modest revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that, that in many cases for them was, was quite meaningful. And we actually had created some apps in the App Store and they were generating some revenue for us. And it really was not huge, but, but it was present. And, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20. So it was you know, easy. That, it was point. easy, right? right. And then we were really struck by how, uh, when you sort of turned your sites to the broader internet outside of that mm -hmm. particular ecosystem, it was so incredibly difficult. And there were so many things we realized that sort of people we knew were, uh, our friends were building that they weren't charging for, not because they sort of weren't intrinsically monetizable, but because it was so difficult to do so, right? right. And so to set up a storefront or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, what were the options at the time? For so, the, so the options basically were, uh, we really knew nothing whatsoever at the space kind of starting out. But what we sort of came to realize was that the options that existed were sort of offshoots in different ways of, of you know, traditional banks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, you know, banks, which are not technology companies, not software companies, not API companies, mm -hmm. I mean, because the nature of the problem were sort of forced to provide the service to developers, right. right? And that sort of, it's very difficult for a technology company to do all the... Right. They're so used to retailers or whoever else, yeah, who else yeah, yeah, their yeah, customers. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, their natural customers. Exactly. And so, you know, they had done sort of an admirable job of kind of doing their best to provide a developer-oriented service, but it's mm -hmm. kind of like your local bank trying to build AWS, right? Mm -hmm. It's just really not their, their sort of core natural competency. Right. And of course, you know, in, 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 in PayPal, there was sort of, you know, one technology company that had sort of tried to go in the reverse direction to sort of bring technology to finance. But, you know, this was 2009 and, you know, PayPal had been acquired and it was kind of moribund. And, you mm -hmm. know, I think sort of they had set off on the right mission, but, you know, from our vantage point, they'd kind of lost their way. Sure. And uh, they were focused on, on, on eBay. They're they focused on eBay. They're focused on peer-to-peer, -peer, right. you know, consumer stuff, whatever. So there's right. no technology infrastructure provider for payments, right? And so in practice, what you do as an entrepreneur is you'd go to the bank, often in person, whether it was in person or not, you have to fill out like actual paperwork. You have to mail it away. You have to wait for a response. You have to mm -hmm. sort of plead your case, try to get approval. You have to knit together a couple of different companies. It wasn't like there wasn't a single payments company you could go to. You'd have to, I mean, this is getting really arcane, but right. you'd have to go to a gateway and find an ISO and then figure out how to connect them together. Right. And just anyway, so the, the whole thing took several weeks, right? And so it was sort of as if, again, you had to go through all these steps in order to just like launch a website, right? right? And so the kind of the thought from our standpoint Which of course was, is the least of your worries, this payment part is mostly it, yeah, your product. And, and so the thought from our standpoint was, why is there not some service you can go to? Just put in your basic details, your bank account information, your personal information, whatever, and sort of click register, activate, you know, what have you. Mm -hmm. And now you've access to some service that will enable you to just charge credit cards. Mm -hmm. And so that, that that was all we were kind of thinking of in the beginning. And obviously kind of, you know, the, the scope of what we're you know, working on and sort of what we have realized is the actual full problem space has expanded. But the initial motivation was, why is it so difficult uh, why can I not in a single evening go mm -hmm. from conceiving some idea to actually having an extant website where, where I can just go and charge my customers? Right, right. And so what's astonishing is that people hadn't done that. They did it on in yes. a big scale on Amazon that you could yeah. buy commercial things. No, no I, th I think you're totally right. I think it's it's in hindsight really surprising and mm -hmm. like almost remarkable that sort of Stripe had not happened before Stripe. Well, right? some had tried. Microsoft was in there for a little bit. Google was in there for a little bit. They, yeah. They all 
sort of sputtered. You're right, no, PayPal sputtered. Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting question why it didn't happen sooner, why this service did not exist in 2009. And, and I mean, you're, you're dead right that sort of all these different companies had tried in different ways. And I think basically now looking back, um, it, it's sort of a combination of things where for the large companies, they were usually entering for some ulterior strategic motive, right? right? Exactly. They wanted more consumer accounts. They wanted to build their wallets, whatever, mm-hmm. right? But they weren't trying to build the best service for technology businesses. No. And then uh, for the, the smaller companies that could have done it, you know, the startups, I think many of them, I mean, almost all of them in some sense, were kind of dissuaded by the sort of either real or perceived barriers where you have to get these partnerships in place with banks, you have to figure out how to work with the card networks, mm-hmm. those kind of regulatory complexities and so on. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was a space that startups were, you know, for, for understandable reasons, quite slow to go tackle. Oh, so everybody was going into the hot spaces, like the... That's true. Right, the yep. exciting, yep. Yeah. like, uh, social media uh, I, I find it really... Apps uh, and photo app. I'm trying to think, all, everything, yeah, dating, social, everything. Social, local, mobile. Why, mobile, yeah. why, why um, didn't you, were you interested in that? Or just, I think I'll do the back end. I think in the world, uh, not, not even just in the technology industry, um, I think infra- infrastructure is gets far less attention than it should. They I do, feel. like Cisco. In- You're like Cisco, essentially. Yeah, I think I think infrastructure. I think institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the basic building blocks and tools. I think sort of they're so pivotally important for just civilization overall. Mm-hmm. They have like mm-hmm. an, an outsized impact, uh, and you know. Seen in the full scheme of all institutions and infrastructure, I mean, the the tools and APIs for moving money on the internet, uh, that that seemed like a, you know, a sufficiently large one that was meaningful, but also a sufficiently small one that you know you could actually make some progress on it. Right, absolutely. So you started coming. You got funded. How much funding have you raised so far? Uh, for those we, who do not know, of we've raised on the order of uh, four hundred fifty million to date. Wow, that's a lot of money. It is. And what do you need all that money for? Well, we're doing a lot. What was your um, first raise? Like a couple million, or uh, we did a seed round of about two million, mm-hmm. uh, and then we did a Series A of about eighteen or nineteen million. Kind so of relatively nine, normal nine, nine amounts. Later. Yeah. Right. Um, so <laughs> it's funny. I remember um, uh, having dinner with John in, in October of two thousand nine, mm-hmm. uh, and we're walking back from it, uh, and we've been kind of discussing this sort of striper as it mm-hmm. was at the time, Dev payments idea. And uh, and whether we should sort of go tackle it in some way. And I remember John turning to me. I very vivid, vividly remember this. Him turning to me as we we're walking through Petrero mm-hmm. uh, and saying that yeah, we should go build this prototype. It it really won't be that hard. Mm-hmm. And I still have those. It won't be that hard. Words you know ringing in my mind. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know now sitting here eight, eight years later. Yeah. Um, but there's a huge amount in. T- well, I should. Step back a little bit. So, uh, as, as we just discussed, we sort of set out with this vision of, mm-hmm. uh, of making it really easy for developers, for sort of early stage companies mm-hmm. to go and just accept the first payment. The thing that, when we started working on Stripe, uh, we, we were working on it as a side project. We were, we were still in school, we sort of were working on other things at the same time. It sort of, it seemed like a promising idea to us, sure. but it didn't seem like some, you know, monumental sort of, you know, world changing phenomenon. We sort of came to realize as we talked to more companies uh, in the space, as we, as we talked to just companies who were trying to deal with money online, which you know is, is a large fraction sure, of them. Sure, absolutely. What we sort of realized is that it wasn't just the small companies, the independent developers, the solo founders who were sort of mm-hmm. encountering these problems. When we talked to the mid-tier companies, we realized right. they too, they had a different set of problems, but they had a very large list of them, right? And when we talked to the large companies, we realized that sort of they too were immensely frustrated by the infrastructure that they were sort of being forced sure. to deal with and, and, and so forth, right? And then we realized there were all these companies that sort of existed at the, at the margins and uh, at the edges and on the boundaries that sort of were, were finding it almost impossible to even get up and running because of other impediments that were sort of being, being placed in front of them. And so, you know, what we initially thought of as being this, this sort of nice developer-oriented service 
really over time has, you know, over, again, over the intervening uh, five plus years, has instead become this much broader infrastructure, this sort of global platform for moving money online. Right, right. right. And, and that turns out to require enormous amount of investment and, and build out, you know, not just on the technical front, but, you know, in multiple countries, working with multiple mm -hmm. regulators. How many countries are you in now? So we, we are sort of directly present in, uh, in 25 countries today. Mm -hmm. uh, so North America, Western Europe, uh, parts of, of East Asia, uh, Australia, uh, And that's Zealand. important because this is where the buyers, are every, buyers and sellers are everywhere. A absolutely, yeah. Right. Um, and of course, you know, d despite the sort of the amount of investment and what we've built out, you know, there thus far, that there are sort of many countries that we, you know, even with the the, mm -hmm. the funding we've raised, that we've yet to expand to, which I think gives right. some sense for kind of the, the full magnitude of the problem and perhaps why it hasn't been solved so far. But uh, and then to your question about sort of how many countries we're in, once you then add on Atlas, uh, which we launched back in uh, last February year. of last yeah. year, uh, we now serve entrepreneurs in about 130 countries. Wow. Uh, you know, with with some meaningful direct relationship. Uh, and so, you know, f from our vantage point, you know, we've made some some decent progress, but there's, you know, still a, a fairly lengthy way to go. But you're morphing into a different kind of company, not just paint, but it's more services even. Or, or what, what? how do you look at the company now since <laughs> it started? Because it's got a bigger yeah. platform than just payments. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think the sort of the, the, the categorical definition in the box that sort of, uh, you know, people would like to, to place us in or even the sort of we ourselves conceive of, mm -hmm. you know, the, the company as being in continues to morph because Stripe doesn't have a direct historical analog or antecedent. Like there, right. there isn't a thing like Stripe that previously existed, right? Um, and so what we do is we provide sort of... Well, you could look at you and say Cisco. Like, I get that. You know, I mean, like, it's, they make things yeah. and servers, but... They, they, they make things, but they're much less... They're much less kind of pivotal for the business. Don't get me wrong. Like Cisco is an immensely important company. I think company. at the and time we, we it, there, to, it didn't exist. Like if I recall, yep. like, you know. But, 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 but I guess like uh, Stripe is sort of the, the, the platform and the toolkit that sort of a business handles its revenue, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it is so mm -hmm. core. And, you know, that, that, right. that revenue then kind of, you know, the, the sort of ancillary considerations are sort of how the business handles its customers and, you know, how they handle and, and think about their marketing funnel and how they think about sort of a lot of the, you know, regulatory or compliance requirements around them, especially as you think about things like marketplaces, how they think about their, their revenue recognition, just like their billing logic, mm -hmm. if you think about like a SaaS company or something right. like that. Uh, and, and that's so, where you do run into a lot of companies. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And, and uh, in, in these different ancillary spaces, of course, you know, many of them are sort of well populated. But we think about Stripe as sort of a, a platform for first launching, but then, you know, subsequently sort of building and scaling mm -hmm. an internet business. And, you know, the emphasis... How, really how one on the, builds and scales an internet business at yeah. the core, at Correct. what they're doing. Yes. And so you have to provide a lot of services. Yes. All around revenue. Correct. Right, exactly. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk more about where you're going and what you're doing now. We're here with Patrick Collison of... Stripe, which used to be called Slash, what is it, Slash Dev? You shouldn't Slash. even tell them. Uh, that's that, okay, that, that, I like it. I think you should go back to it. Sleeping dog should lie. Uh, that doesn't look so good on a t-shirt either. Um, <laughs> and we're going to talk more about payments and where businesses are going on the internet and how they manage themselves. Today's show is brought to you by Audible, which has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. And you can listen to all of that wherever you are, thanks to Audible's free apps for iOS, Android, and Amazon devices. It's not a streaming or rental service. With Audible, you own your books. Patrick, what book should I listen to next? So I was on vacation last week, mm -hmm. um, and I think the two best books that I read were A Culture of Growth by John Moker. Okay, uh, it's so not it's super serious for a vacation, but okay, <laughs> explain that. Well, it's basically about... I listened to Megyn Kelly's book, but go ahead. <laughs> um, well, 
it's basically the question of why did the Industrial Revolution happen when it did, right?、Mm -hmm. And so David Hume, writing in I don't know 1750 or something, said that if there is a rate of progress in the world, if if, if there is some progress,、mm -hmm. it's at a rate so slow that it's not even measurable, right?、Mm -hmm. And so this is David Hume, you know, looking back at the full scope and sweep of human history、mm -hmm. and deciding that well, maybe there's some progress, but 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 so little you can't even discern it. And then of course he said that basically right at the moment where、so、that story、wrong. completely changed, right?、Yeah. We've seen the most kind of astonishing takeoff, you know, ever since then. And so there's of course the question of like what changed? What、mm -hmm. happened in 1750? I mean, you know, people have been around for a long time by、yeah. then. And 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 Moker so takes this view of it that really the critical ingredient for the Industrial Revolution was kind of culture um, and、oh. and ideas and it's,、right. a, it, it's a culture of growth. Wow, that、yeah. is one serious <laughs> heavy book for a vacation. I'm not going on anymore with you. I'm not going on vacation with you clearly because I would be reading. <laughs> that, that, that is probably a good call. All right, okay, <laughs> right, that's a book. Sounds like an economy class, the economics class that I slept through in、uh, college. <laughs> all right, when you become an Audible member, you get a free book every month plus a thirty percent discount on all regularly priced audiobooks. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free thirty-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com/decode, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com/decode. That's audible.com/decode, and get started today. We're here with Patrick Collison talking about Stripe, his payments company he started with his brother John, only a few years ago, really, and it's become sort of the de facto way different companies manage their revenues and payments. But we're talking about the, sort of the bigger issues: what you morph into. You, you were providing a service that people didn't have and never existed because no one had this problem before.、Um, payments were done in all kinds of ways for regular businesses, typically banks. They would bring their revenues in and carry a, a sack of money. Deposit in the bank, and then they would have loans and things like that. So, are you? A, do you think of yourself as a bank, or what, how do you look at yourselves? Where are you going? Yeah, no, we we definitely don't think of ourselves as a bank.、Uh, I mean, the, the the things we care about, the,、uh, it's really sort of twofold. It's how do we have more sort of technology businesses get started, right? right?、Uh, and so that entails、uh, questions around like what's the kind of barrier to entry and the activation energy required, and sort of you know what. Barriers does one have to you know、mm -hmm. vault over and, and、mm -hmm. all of that right and and so that's how we get led to things like Atlas where we realize that well it's not only sort of the access to payments but also the access to sort of the legal system and、mm -hmm. uh, access to sort of investors especially as determined by where the company itself you know resides it's when we sort of encounter problems like that that we're, we're led to things like Atlas and because we care so much about helping more technology companies get started you know we're we're willing to go tackle them and the other thing that we care about is how do we help these These ensuing businesses. How do we help them be more successful? Right. right? How, how do we help them grow the revenue, find new customers, sort of、uh, serve better those customers that they already have, and sort of really help them optimize, better understand, and 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 ultimately have a more. And there's lots of those、business. companies, you know, customer resource man relationship management and things. Like yeah, that. no, there's the, the, certainly a whole ecosystem there. Although, of course, you know, because of you know the, the sort of the nature of the Stripe product and the fact that you know we we are handling the revenue for them, there are some things that we can do that are very difficult and for others. And have insights. Yeah, yeah. There are some things that we can do that where you know we think we can really. Bring value that those customers can't get elsewhere, and of course there are some cases where someone else can do it as well as we can, and you know、mm -hmm. th those ones will be. You know, we're more than happy to to have others go serve. Um, but but kind of to your question of whether we consider ourselves a bank, you know, I think a bank has a very different conception of itself, right?、Mm -hmm. And I think they're kind of very our idea of ourselves and the goals we have in a bank. You know, they're they're, they're very divergent,、uh, and in that sense, I think we're we're quite complementary. Banks、right? moved into helping businesses build businesses. You know what I mean? Like yeah, but but we we really care about technology businesses, right? Right?、Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, pe people always ask us when we're going to build a point of sale system. Right. Like we're not going to build a point of sale system because、mm -hmm. we are about technology businesses. Okay.、Uh, and so a bank has to think about sort of. All、to、businesses. your point, all businesses, right? And and you know, of course, there are some、Why、things like. Why not do that? That's right. 
Um, because we're sort of two reasons uh, in that partially because you need to focus, right? right. Uh, and you cannot be all things to all people. And if our goal was to help all businesses in the world succeed slightly more, I mean, I think that's just that that's underdetermined and under constrained. And partially because, and, and this kind of gets more maybe to just kind of our, our personalities and our worldview, um, we think that things that the internet is making possible, that sort of technology makes possible, the new creative undertakings mm -hmm. and kinds of coordination and uh, uh, new products and services, we think those things are cool, mm -hmm. right? And we, we're really interested in the question of how, like if you look at all the innovation and the sort of uh, all the different phenomena that have arisen over the last 20, 30 years, thanks to the internet, mm -hmm. and if you ask yourself the question of how can you have more of that? How can you how can you enable that progress to, to yeah mm -hmm. exactly to, to happen more quickly? How can you uh, have have the the gains from it be sort of spread more universally? So mm -hmm. like the, I don't know, that, that's just personally a cause that you know has, has a great deal of resonance with me. Sure. Uh, and uh, and so I, th I think that Stripe generally is kind of is comprised of the kind of people who believe in technology, who are kind of optimistic about its effects, and and want to sort of have whatever future it's it's leading to uh, happen. And also some, plenty some of market and plenty of market in that area. For, for, fortunately, the the technology yeah. industry is is a sufficiently large market to keep it going for quite a while. So talk about what you have some news to talk about here. You're, you're doing some, the company's growing. How many people do you have now? Uh, we're about 750. Wow, that's, a, that's an astonishing amount. And where are most of them deployed? In different parts of well, it? Most of them are engineers. Well, uh, um, uh, engineering is the largest function in terms of like a plurality of people at Stripe are engineers. But again, there's just like such a broad scope of what we have to do, right? We have people on the ground in so many countries. We have mm -hmm. people who, you know, help solve the unique business problems that you know, Your each individual too. customer is facing. We have people mm -hmm. who solve the ensuing legal challenges. We have uh, uh, you know, a, a very large finance team because we're now moving such enormous amounts of money. Right, exactly. We, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a long list. And I think that Stripe is kind of more, is both more sort of interdisciplinary and more sort of integrated and sort of tightly coupled than many other technology companies mm -hmm. for, you know, many companies here in Silicon Valley, you uh, you have sort of the product organization that sort of builds the thing that consumers sure. spend a lot of time engaging with, right? And then you have sort of the, the side of the house that just deals with all the administration associated mm -hmm. with that, right? And right. sort of the revenue comes in from the advertisers and you, you, you go and you shuffle the, the, the money around. Whereas for Stripe, the legal team, the finance team, the, are all part of the exactly the, the risk team. They're all part of the product itself, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think um, uh, it actually the, so the, the the culture that then arises is, to my mind, I actually prefer it because well, your product uh, is what you're making. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it feels like there's a, a closer integration between sort of the culture itself and the product we ship to the world, which mm -hmm. I think actually makes for a better culture in the end. Right. Right. Which is all dedicated to that because you need each part of it. Right, exactly. So talk a little bit about the security. You just hired a security? Yeah, well, we, we, we just hired a, a new head of security. Um, uh, You've had a head of security before, correct? That, that's right, that's right. Um, so uh, Peter Zadko comes uh, most immediately from a, a nonprofit organization that mm -hmm. uh, he started partially at the request of the Obama administration, uh, the CITL, basically it's devoted to helping uh, sort of software creators and, and, and makers build more secure software. Right. Um, but really, he spent a, a, a lot of his career uh, working in various government roles and generally trying to you know, uh, improve the, the level of security across you know, government overall. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's also joining, uh, along with someone that he's kind of known and worked closely with for a long time, uh, John Kaltwasser, uh, who spent uh, even longer in government than he has and served roles in uh, the, the U.S. Navy, U.S. Cyber Command, and so on. So why is and this important to you, this, this area? Obviously, <laughs> I, I, I know, I, I'm, I'm asking the dumb question. I, I understand why it is, but yeah. what? 
you know, uh, because this is a concern of everybody. These totally. Uh, I mean, I think that you know, it, it's it's hard to answer that question without resorting to platitudes. But uh, security is such an immensely key part of of what we do and what customers yeah. are buying from us. Right. Uh, that we've always thought that we need to be the best in the world at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've invested a lot in it for a long time. I mean, when Stripe first launched, even when we were just 10 people, sort of we, we launched with this technology called Stripe.js, which was a, a new kind of tokenization technology such that businesses could uh, send card numbers directly to Stripe rather than having the card numbers right. first go to their servers. And sure. so it you know, massively sort of circumscribed the uh, sort of points of contact and sort of therefore, you know, where it can get stolen. Exactly. It meant that merchants themselves were sort of far less vulnerable to some of the kinds of breaches that we've you know, seen elsewhere over the past couple of years. But, you know, it, it's a sort of it's a rapidly changing, enormously complicated landscape. And, and so in, in having both Peter and, and, and John join, part of what you know, makes us so, so glad that they're here, that they have such extensive experience seeing the most advanced adversaries in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in that when the Department of Defense wanted to send somebody to go help Ukraine back mm-hmm. when they were uh, being attacked from you know, various parties. They sent John Kaltwasser, right? Mm-hmm. Or when uh, Sony sought help from the government uh, back when uh, when they You're were hacked, attacked, um, right? it was it was John Kaltwasser. And mm-hmm. so uh, you know, b- b- because sort of nation states have been some of the most active uh, attackers uh, over the past couple of years and some of the most sophisticated and well-funded attackers. Right. Yeah, Having people everywhere. who've been on the defense side of that uh, mm-hmm. for, for quite some time, I think, is, is really what your, what you Obviously, your business is built around finance and the movement of revenues and finances. What, is, what are the things you worry about then in making this, these kind of hires? What is it's sort of at the core of your business if you're not ironclad safe? What, for sure. What's your use? I agree. Yeah. So, what what are you worried about what, when you think about those incursions, or oh, um, and what should the broader so the, public be worried about? Right. It seems um, like there's vulnerabilities everywhere, doesn't? For sure. Uh, so, I think that uh, I think what the broader public should be worried about is is legacy systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's speaking. I mean, you know, of course, I work on Stripe, but I too am also a consumer, and my personal data mm-hmm. uh, resides in all sorts of systems. Visa, and, and not just financial systems, mm-hmm. right? I mean, healthcare systems and I don't know, uh, communication systems, sure. the phone system, uh, uh, what have you, right? Uh, and I think that, like again, just kind of speaking personally as a consumer. I feel pretty good about the information I have that resides with Facebook, uh, that resides with Google, that resides with sort of these, these technology Many companies. Many people don't. That's interesting. Um, well, you know, my view of it is that uh, they, I mean, firstly, they're technology companies. I think in as much as anyone does, they, they understand the threats, they understand the best mm-hmm. practices and so on. But I think the real thing they benefit enormously from is they're pretty new, right? And so they don't have these enormous kind of impossible to comprehend legacy systems from 1970 that have sort of points of connection that you know, know someone forgot about or that right. sort of have some door or, somewhere yeah exactly or, or or sort of are using encryption technologies that were broken 20 years ago but no one has had the chance to go upgrade yet and so mm-hmm. on and so you know I sort of assume that when my information if my information is is breached as, as as part of some hacking that it'll be from some 20 30 year old corporation that sort of you know, hasn't kept pace um, sure. with the with the broader industry, and uh, and again, 
for, for the broader public, I think that's the thing to 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 really be concerned about. I think the and issues then, with Facebook and Google are, is we're scared of them, not <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, well, not a, breaches. There's, there's like, whole, what are they going to do? Exactly. With so there's a whole set of you know broader mm-hmm. policy questions mm-hmm. around sort of data storage and access sure. and the government access yeah. to it and and, and and so on. But but sort of from the, from the security vantage point, I think the thing to 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 really care about is how big is the organization just because the the fixed costs of this investment mm-hmm. are, are large right and so right. many small companies just can't, can't afford to make the investment i mean if you right. do not have a big security team there's just like there are too many things to do and so i think that's the first thing to care about then the second thing to care about is are they a modern technology company because if they aren't if they have systems from 40 years ago it is and no one will say this on the record of course but you I'm sure you've done this. You talk to anyone off the record who's mm-hmm. dealing with technology systems that have been around for 40 years. It is almost impossibly, impossibly no, difficult assume. to make it truly secure. No, you cannot at all. In fact, that's why they breach almost constantly. Right. Where do you imagine your business going? You have $450 million you've raised, which is more than most. You're one of these unicorns, right, or decacorns. Or whatever. What's your valuation now? Uh, our last round um, uh, that we announced back just uh, around Thanksgiving last year was at 9.2 so billion posts. Expensive, expensive. I thought it was a super cheap deal. Okay, good. Well, that's nice. I hope your investors feel the same. But what do you what do you imagine you're going? Are you? A lot of people feel that some of these companies, Square, a bunch of others, they're not they're not in your space exactly. But mm-hmm. a lot of these finance companies are SoFi. They're all di- they all do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys do? Are you the next? Visas. I'm trying to like. There's not really a comparable, but banks for SoFi. No, there, there, there isn't an eat bucket. Well, to put there us is in, for uh, like a SoFi. Yeah, mortgage broker. Like there, you know, that's pretty mortgage. Oh, for, for SoFi. Yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. You can yes. you can sort of make right. comparables for a bunch of them. Yes. Um, what do you imagine going with this? I think we'll be working on it for for a very long time, and that mm-hmm. I think that's part of the nature of, of infrastructure, right? Where sort of I think different kinds of products just have sort of different you know, natural uh, time horizons and, and cycles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that if you're building uh, a consumer app, you're necessarily coupled to the sort of intrinsic time cycle of, of just human fashion, right? right. Uh, in that it, it's, it's a fashion-driven space, and sort of we see that in the cycle of these various apps. Uh, and I think for for infrastructure, uh, that that just naturally tends to play out over a longer time horizon. So we've always viewed Stripe uh, as sort of a, a multi-decadal undertaking. Uh, mm-hmm. We sort of me- measure our progress. Uh, you know, we talk about this idea of increasing the GDP of the internet, mm-hmm. and we measure our progress on that basis. How well others do. No, 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 just uh, what fraction of the GDP of the internet do we represent? Are we helping power? Mm-hmm. How much of that do we think you know, we're kind of somehow causally responsible for? Right. You know, what are we unlocking that you know, wasn't Helping them possible? make their businesses possible. Yeah, so yeah. you also bought, you bought a bunch of things. Explain these, uh, hacker, sure. the hacker, the... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, we we launched uh, a magazine uh, called Increment uh, right. uh, back about three weeks ago. At this point, yep. This is um, run by Susan Fowler, the that's famous right. Susan Fowler. From um, and and we uh, just announced the acquisition of a, a very small company called Indie Hackers, mm-hmm. uh, which is a website that sort of surfaces the stories and interviews with uh, people who have started revenue generating businesses. And so mm-hmm. there's a as as you well know there's sort of no shortage of attention paid to the the well-funded, the sort of extravagantly venture-backed companies. But I think mm-hmm. there's often too little attention paid to the quietly profitable, the sort of you know right. f- from the individual founders' vantage point, sort of highly successful uh, uh, private side project or or uh, or small business. And so Indie Hackers is sort of a showcase uh, uh, for them. 
And so the broader thinking behind... Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, so with, with Indie Hackers, it, it, it comes back to this idea of how do we help more technology companies, and especially technology businesses, get started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I love about Indie Hackers is uh, it's it's so focused on the mechanics and the details, right? And that it's not about, you know, everyone can get excited about the idea of, of, of starting a company, right? Mm-hmm. But how do you actually do that? What's, right. What services do you use? What challenges do you encounter? How do you deal with loneliness? What do you use for analytics? Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of the, 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 the nuts and bolts like this. Um, uh, I might have mentioned this to you before, but uh, something we think a lot about and, and something that I often uh, reference is that there's an apocryphal quote attributed to uh, to Picasso. Uh, I don't think he actually said it, but you know, it, 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 it's, it's so good that why not, right? That when you get art critics together, they talk about things like themes and motifs and you know, macro trends and all the mm-hmm. rest. And when you get uh, painters together, they discuss where to get cheap turpentine. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and Indie Hackers is sort of a site about cheap turpentine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, in service of that goal of helping more of these businesses get started, we, we think it can be really high impact, right? Uh, and when you look at the total number of such businesses started in the world today, there's no reason as to why it could not be, you know, very substantially larger. And when we look at Atlas and sort of our surveys, when we ask the founders, you know, how likely do you think it is that you wouldn't have gotten started if Atlas didn't exist? Right. That, that really gives us the sense that it, it's actually surprisingly possible to have, you know, significant impact here. So it's sort of spurring people. Correct. So spurring and, and, and helping and them sort of get through the, the early right. months. Right. And, and then for, for increment, uh, it's sort of a little bit later in the, in the company's life cycle. Uh, so once you get to 10 or 20 engineers, sort of you're beyond the point where it's about just building the initial product. And it's more how does a group of people uh, build software together. Mm-hmm. We were really struck by how there's, there's an enormous amount written by sort of, uh, written rather about how an individual engineer should do something and best practices and the languages right. you should use and the technologies and all the rest. There's surprisingly little written about how groups of people should build software together mm-hmm. and the practices they should adopt and the h- how they should how they should do things like testing, how they should do things like deployment, how they should do things like handle pagers and the inevitable incidents that arise and, and mm-hmm. things like that. That was your first fascinating story, incidents. Yeah, and, and, and you know, when you talk to engineers and, and managers and people sort of implicated in the software engineering process of these companies, these practices, these processes, this kind of nature of the collaboration informs so much of... So it's sort of best, you're getting best practices and tips. I, I think I called it New Yorker for geeks, but actually now I'm thinking it's Glamour Magazine for geeks. You know what I mean? Like how-tos. Here's the makeup we use. Here's the uh, lipstick that works for us. Here's uh, the page I, I never thought I'd be accused of being involved in anything glamorous, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you aren't being. Don't worry. But, 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 uh, but but on some level, yes, right? Yeah. It, it, it's the best practices. And, mm-hmm. and again, you know, the, the particular observation uh, and kind of belief we came to was that uh, there are best practices. There are some companies that do these things really well. Mm-hmm. And what we see again and again among especially companies built on Stripe is that generally they do converge on these best practices. When you look at them with their 200 people, they've eventually discovered them. But it's often a needlessly painful process right. to get there. They first do it kind of the wrong way, and then they sort it's of suffer the inevitable It's a clearinghouse. You're trying points. to do sort of a clearinghouse. A, a, a clearinghouse for best practices is a great term for it. That is mm-hmm. exactly what this is designed to be. And you're doing it just to be helpful? You just want more of these made so you can then have customers well, too. Well, well again, it, we Stripe does better if the internet economy is larger. And right. so, you know, if Increment succeeds, if it actually makes a you know, sizable fraction of companies better. grow faster or mm-hmm. operate more effectively and so on, you know, th- that's actually really fabulous news for us, right? Right. Um, Do you I, want to then expand it to other services? It just sort of begs the question, more services from Stripe. 
What do you see your other services being? Well, it'll be very customer driven, right? And mm-hmm. that, and I think people don't quite that they want from you. Yeah, exactly. Hey, we need blank. Well, well what, what, not even necessarily what they, what they state they need from us per se, but we'll go and ask them. You know, what's holding you back? Why aren't you? bigger than you are? What are the challenges you're dealing so what's with? The what's the number one thing they say? Well, it depends on the size and the stage of the talent business, right? Like and so <laughs> talent is certainly there. Um, and, you know, that in and of itself is a sort of thought-provoking uh, statement. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, take a, a, a sort of top-of-mind example. Um, if you look at Connect, right? What, what we heard uh, back a couple of years ago was that all these businesses wanted to transfer money to bank mm-hmm. accounts, right? right. And Something you know, simple that, like that. Yeah, that, and that, well, it felt like, you know, a, a, an odd request in the beginning, but then you sort of dig into it and you realize, well, you know, thanks to you know, smartphones in large part, sort of these new marketplaces are arising and sort of this, the internet is sort of ena- enabling this new economic coordination. And then, you know, you realize that actually they don't just want to transfer money to bank accounts. There's actually, you know, they want to verify the identities of these counterparties mm-hmm. and they want to handle the taxes around them and, and, and so on and so forth along those lines. And so, you know, we first built that bank account transfer for API, and then we found we were led to sort of some of these you know, broader solutions around sort of handy identity verification and compliance and tax reporting and so on. And, and now that we've built that, we're sort of continuing to get feedback from this marketplace segment. That they want something else. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and, and we sort of continue to chase this down. And I guess the, the, the particular thing that I think is different about Stripe as compared to most companies is mo- for most companies, it doesn't work that well to ask your users, what do you want? And that mm-hmm. if, if you ask the average consumer, what do you want from Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, they can't. They can't tell you, right? And the, I mean, sort of broadly speaking, I guess that they want to be entertained or, mm-hmm. or something, or maybe they want to learn more about the world or what have you. But like, it's very difficult to know. Although you don't have a teenager, they know. They know <laughs> what they want. Well, I but I mean, I, I'm guessing that most teenagers were not asking for for colored filters before Snapchat actually went and implemented mm. them, right? Uh, I get a lot of suggestions from my kids. <laughs> to tell. Okay, well, maybe you get a lot of suggestions, but difficult to stack rank right, them and, 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 and order right. them, You're right? right. Um, whereas for us, because we serve technology businesses, they're sort of necessarily they pretty good need. at knowing what they need, right? right. Uh, and so for, uh, kind of when we say that we're very customer-driven in this regard, it's not that we think we're somehow better at being customer-driven or more virtuous than other companies. I think mm-hmm. it just like structurally makes more sense makes to more be customer-driven. Makes more sense to do that. All right. When I get back, I'm going to ask you whether you're going to sell or go public. So just get ready for that. We're here with Patrick Collison, the CEO of Stripe, who founded with his brother many years ago. It's a payments company, or it helps technology companies make payments and manage their revenues. This podcast is brought to you by SoFi, a living room with a fireplace, the perfect kitchen, a big yard. Finding a house that checks all the boxes is hard. Financing shouldn't be. And it isn't with SoFi. Mortgages start at 10% down with no borrower-paid private mortgage insurance. Plus, SoFi underwrites at the pre-approval level, so when you find your dream home in your dream neighborhood, you can act fast and make it yours. Visit SoFi.com to learn more. Terms and conditions apply. Visit SoFi.com legal for more information. Loans originated by SoFi Lending Corp. And are not available in all states. NMLS 1121636. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good of The Verge. It's like my other wife. You rang? <laughs> there you are. Hi. Hi, how you doing? I'm good. How are good. you? Good. You're visiting my real home at Rico Vico. Oh, the, um, you were. <laughs> uh, I thought Too Embarrassed was your primary gig. I would like keep them guessing. Every Friday, we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, what did we talk about this week? We talked about laptops with Dan Seifert, who is also from The Verge. He yeah. is our reviews editor there. Yeah. And we talked a lot about Microsoft's newest products. There's a new Surface laptop that's coming out soon. And Microsoft also put out a new form of its operating system that is supposed to compete with um, Chrome OS in the Chromebook market. Wow. So, so there's a lot going on. In an area most people don't think there's a lot going 
going on. No, it's true. I think a lot of people think, you know, the PC market's been down over the past few years. Um, but the truth is that a lot of people are still using laptops and people ask us questions about laptops a lot, whether to upgrade and we try, you know, we try to answer them. Okay. It was a great discussion and we hope you listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Patrick Collison. He is CEO of Stripe, one of the hot internet companies of this era, along with Airbnb, Uber, and some others. Uh, but you're behind the scenes. You're not loud and splashy would be Uber, but I would, there's other ways to describe that company right now. Noisy would be a good way, probably. It's a polite way to say it. Um, but you, you're sort of growing much in a much more um, humble way. I don't know how else to put it. Like, it really is, even though you have raised an enormous amount of money of an enormous valuation. Um, you've been a lot quieter. Where do you imagine taking the company? Do you want to go public? We want to be an independent company right. for a very long time. Right? Yeah. Um, I can't even think who'd buy you. I'm trying to think. I'm like, well, I, in, in some sense, it's an irrelevant question because right. we're just not that interested in it, right? Right. Um, uh, and we've been sort of very Microsoft. Sorry. Uh, well, you know, we, we've been clear for for years at this point that sort of acquisitions mm-hmm. uh, are just you know, that's not a path that we're interested in. Sure. And you know, from our from our vantage point, you know, there are different merits uh, to being public and 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 being private and you know, being totally transparent, you know, what the long-term state for us is, is an open question. Mm-hmm. What, what we're really clear on is that we are not going public anytime soon. Uh, right. If we were to, that would be years in profitable? the future. Is your company profitable? We've never commented on that publicly. <laughs> I bet you are more profitable But you have asked us before. People. Yes, I know, we have. I'm guessing you're probably more profitable than other people. You're closer if you wanted to get public. Silence from Patrick. Well done. You're turning red. Patrick has very red hair, and now his face is turning just as red as his hair. So let's talk a little bit about where this whole sector is going, and in Silicon Valley too, because you've been you have other interests too. You, you're very active politically recently, is that correct? Or you've been very interested in politics? Well, yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of folks in yeah about I, immigration I, and all kinds of issues. How do you yep. how do you operate? We, we the thing you were on the stage at Code for was about what it's like to be a startup. What is it like now to be a startup? Do a little check-in here. Well, it's kind of hard for me to say because sort of, you know, the, my vantage point has also changed a lot, right. right? And so it's kind of, obviously, the ecosystem has changed a bit, but because Stripe has grown, my particular vantage point has also changed. And it's kind of hard to know whether to attribute it to the ecosystem changing mm-hmm. or, to, um, uh, or to, to, to Stripe itself. I guess what, what jumps out at me is uh, maybe two or three things. First, um, in some sense, we're waiting for the next wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Absolutely. That social happened, mobile happened, a lot of speculation now around AI, AI and VR and all the rest. Automation. But right. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know, both of those, I think, in the fullness of time will, will be significant, but they're... It feels they're, like something. They're, they're, but they're certainly not happening right. in a major sort of economic way now, right? Right. I think what is happening in a really significant way, but it makes for a sort of a less you know, sexy and compelling story is sort of the much less glamorous deployment of technology to spaces where it sort of has sure. not previously been applied. And so you know, I love the example of farm logs here, mm-hmm. which is you know, helping farmers and agricultural businesses better manage their crops, better understand their yields, better you know, literally down to things like when they should water them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and at a very kind of granular level, sort sure. of when they should water them on, on different parts of the land. Right. I think there's an enormous amount of that happening, but sort of that, that, that sort of um, the, the spreading of that technology kind of filigree into the rest of the economy. Have you heard about I think swine tech? 
I heard about it last year. I haven't, but I love it already. Yeah, um, I know, of course, exactly. Uh, I was like, sign me up. Um, it's, right. yeah, apparently, cow, uh, uh, pigs sleep on their their piglets and kill yeah. them, and it's to, to monitor the huh. sleeping patterns of pigs. Okay, that, that, that's a really good example. Using so, so I think there are, and we see it, sorry, no there are thousands piglets, and thousands really. and thousands of those, right? And, yeah. and I think in aggregate, they are fabulous, but they, mm-hmm. but they don't sort of represent a new technological trend. They represent sort of bringing the fruits and the and the benefits of technology to sectors mm-hmm. that sort of haven't previously right. benefited from them. Right, but swine tech would be a customer of yours, not the piglets, correct? Um, well, based on the products we have today, at least, but you know, yes. who knows so they about could. the future? They have a technology. Payments for piglets. Right. Um, well, you, have uh, you have to start somewhere. But um, the, the other trend that sort of jumps out at me that I, I think is kind of interesting is uh, as, you know, for, for, for a long time, people uh, sort of laughed at Silicon Valley, um, you know, just full of these kind of ridiculous ideas and, and sort of boondoggles that'll go nowhere and companies that are purportedly wildly overvalued and all the, all the rest, right? And sort of this is, you know, particularly striking when you go back and you sort of pull out from essentially every year from when Facebook was founded, the articles about I know, I the magnitude of, 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 of Facebook's overvaluing. I don't feel bad at all. Anyway. <laughs> um, but, but I think kind of that... Yeah, but there that, were 20 other companies that did, that, you know, hit the wall, backslash and had one or two of them, you know, I mean, like... For, for sure, no, absolutely. That's what I'm there's, saying. There's been tons of failure. Right. Um, but uh, what's been striking to me in sort of how it's all changed is that uh, I feel like there's now somewhat more antipathy. And you know, I think some of that's understandable in the sense that Silicon Valley companies have become so powerful, mm-hmm. right? In that, you know, uh, at a moment in time uh, last year, I don't think it's the case as of literally today, but uh, the four of the top five companies in the U.S. by market cap were technology yeah. companies. And they weren't 10 years ago. Right. And, and sort of bringing the lens down to sort of startups, uh, I think that when uh, when a startup hits the rocks uh, or, you know, turns out to be, you know, exposed to stupid idea or, mm-hmm. or to fail or whatever, um, th- there's actually, to me, a kind of distasteful glee that people take in that. And right. sort of from for my, for my standpoint, what I love about the ideal of, of Silicon Valley um, it's not that a place where failure is celebrated, but it, that it's a place where doing things that have a pretty high chance of resulting in failure in service of also accomplishing some things that turn mm-hmm. out to have enormous upside, that we're a place that's okay with that trade, I think is is, is so special right. and so unique and, and, and so unlike the vast majority of the world, right? Yeah, I, I, just, I just got back from Japan and mm-hmm. I was spending time with a, a good friend there who runs a, you know, a, a very promising startup, and you know, she was describing how sort of that ethos is, is so unlike uh, sure, that, 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 that of Japan. Doesn't, right? Doesn't happen. Um, but, but but so I guess the thing that you know worries me a little bit, um, or at least you know, I, I don't like, is that I, I think we're kind of becoming, uh, perhaps because of the growing power of the giants, we're sort of becoming more negative mm-hmm. uh, uh, at the low end, and. Mm-hmm. I, it's not that I'm defending kind of the particular companies themselves, mm-hmm. but I, but I would really defend us being a kind of place that produces lots of failures. Right. Uh, I think that's right. great. I think right. 10-20% of companies should totally fail and 30-40% of companies should kind of mostly fail because if, if, if you're not sort of trying things sure. that are... that are. Um, no, I get that idea. Yeah. I think it's because the, I think you're absolutely right. You have to look at the power of the com- larger companies now because they've misbehaved right. so badly and pretend that they don't or, they, or they've done things that... You know, I think the difference between Silicon Valley and other places is they love to tell you how great they are. You know what I mean? Like, and after a while, you're like, you know, you're just making money. Like, stop. Like, you know, I don't think 
people who make Coca-Cola go on and on about the great benefits of, you know, of course they have issues, all, another thing, or yeah, no, any I, products, I, paper towel people, or, you know, you don't have to listen to that direct from them. You, they just make a lot of money making t- paper towels. They shut up, they go home. And I think Silicon Valley likes to celebrate itself almost continually, even when, I think this recent political era, era they just, look, they're about to go to meetings with Trump and guess what he's signing tomorrow? An executive order, the religious freedom thing, which they're supposed to be against, silence. I think that... uh, I don't know. I just feel like... No, no, no. I think that Silicon Valley is somewhat predisposed to kind of sententious moralizing. Mm -hmm. And uh, And then when the rubber hits the road, they don't do anything Well, and that maybe looks cute when they're Mm -hmm. a plucky upstart. Yeah. It starts to bring a little bit more hollow. When When they can do something about it. Right. And when sort of the the slightest... um, you know, tweak of a ranking algorithm change actually does have sort of enormous sure. sort of uh, societal Effect impact. On businesses, yeah. um, and I think there is, I think Silicon Valley broadly is still sort of figuring out its particular strain of, um, I don't want to say libertarianism because that's kind of too oh. specific a political term, but right. but but sort of the the idea that when good happens mm-hmm. that we claim credit for it, mm-hmm. uh, but when bad things occur. Well, we're just building tools. Right, exactly. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's and, funny. And, and I think that combination is a bad luck. Stephen Colbert recently was talking about Ivanka Trump like this, and she said, that's the Old Testament God. When good things happen, you take credit <laughs> when bad things. I don't know. Uh, that's just that, the way that, it is. That, that's, you a, know? that's a funny analogy. Yeah, yeah, it was. But it was interesting you would get that, given I'm guessing you're Catholic from Ireland. Maybe not. Perhaps you're not. I myself am not religious, okay. but, but yes, I certainly grew up in a very up, Catholic right, environment. Right, exactly, as, as I did. Yeah. But what's interesting is that they... I just don't think they take the responsibility for the platforms they've created. And and Marx, for example, Mark Zuckerberg starting to grudgingly and doing it, trying to get the idea that fake news might have had an issue, whatever the platform happens to be. And I think that's one of the issues. And I think well, politically, you've been you think these are important issues. You think yeah. Silicon Valley should get involved politically. You yourself have been thinking about this. I've been pretty outspoken. Mm-hmm. I mean, sort of not to give myself too much credit here. I think it's easier for me to be outspoken than it mm-hmm. is for because well, because we're we're not as consequential as as the you know, top four tech companies, right? Mm-hmm. And and for them, I, I think it really is. I mean, well, again, on, on the one hand, I sort of agree with you, where I think that Silicon Valley has not figured out how to sort of discharge its broader mm-hmm. societal responsibility in the way that I think uh, eventually it will. But on the other hand, you have to think about sort of the the global aspects of all of this. Of you know, to what degree you know. Should they be involved in the U.S.? To what degree should they be involved in any of the countries in mm-hmm. which they sort of have a, a local presence? And you know, w- when when they start sort of exercising you know mm-hmm. their, their political power and so on, I'm sure I'm absolutely certain there'll be a loud constituency uh, 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 raising objections at that in the sense that you're, you're telling me that sort of you already have all this power in the form of your products and now you're exercising it politically. Because you and said so you were th- like that before. Well, but I think what, what did Apple start with? Throwing a hammer at power. And we're going to break. Come on, they've said they're doing. But, 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 are you, but are you saying Apple is? Are they just selling? But, but, but are, you, are you really saying that Apple is less scary if they start exercising their power politically? They, they no, I, that's what they said they were going to be better than other companies. They said it at the very start. But, but I, 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 I don't want to put words in his mouth. But I, but I, I, I imagine what Tim Cook would say is that they, they want to be sort of scrupulously fair and law-abiding, and that it's not Apple's business. To be advocating for, for particular political causes. Think different. <laughs> well, We're the I, iconoclast. You're the dreamers. Come on. The, everything coming out of Silicon Valley is either total bullshit, which I think it may be, or it's they should stick to it. I, I, I don't know. They certainly market themselves that way. You don't, because but yeah. a lot of them do. I, 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 okay. I, again, speaking personally, 
I'm outspoken, and mm-hmm. that, that's I appreciate uh, that. Uh, that's sort of the trade-off we've made and, and, and what I personally believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I guess I do want to, again, I, I want to be somewhat... Uh, You're a kind uh, man. Well, and, and, and it's, it's, it's not just... Uh, I would love to ascribe it all to kindness, but I'm not, right. I'm not claiming that I'm that good a person. But it's, no, it, it's amount of recognition, I guess, that like, I think these people and these companies are in legitimately, extraordinarily difficult positions. And mm-hmm. like, were I forced to sort of take sides in some of these issues uh, with, with such sort of enormous ramifications and trickle-down consequences mm-hmm. and the knowledge that sort of I have to, for decades to come, work with these groups. Sure. It's not easy. No, but that's how we get to bad places. Anyway, I yeah. will disagree. Well, Let's go back know, to well, entrepreneur. Uh, Let's go back to the idea of uh, entrepreneurship. The last thing I would say is uh, I, I think that uh, press raising these questions it's a good thing. Oh, thank um, you. I'll continue to do so. Let's go back to entrepreneurialism. We're going to finish up on that. Uh, you're helping entrepreneurs. You're trying to – how do we keep the innovative spirit alive? Because that is one thing. I've, I've interviewed Eric uh, – I can't remember the guy from uh, – the happiness guy. He didn't – where how innovation dies. It was where, where it rises and where it dies huh. and went through cultures throughout history looking huh. at this. And they're all very similar patterns. Arrogance breaks in. Insularity comes hmm. in. You know, at the beginning, tolerance, open-mindedness, create it. Like you said, the Industrial Revolution, we yeah, talked yeah. about that book. And then another set of things comes in. How do you keep the U.S. innovative? Because we are. You know, this, this industry yep. still remains innovative. And how do we keep that entrepreneurialism? Because it obviously is good for you, for your business. What do you think the key steps are? And then I'd like you to finish up talking about something you've done that you think you made a mistake. And you, I don't want to do, you know, I learned the learning lesson thing. But uh-huh. what do you think some tips for entrepreneurs are? That's the last part. But in the beginning, how sure. do we keep innovation alive? This administration yep. is not that friendly to tech, um, although now they have these innovation councils, which at this point I think are all bullshit. But yep. OK. So um, are you on that innovation council? We're not. Okay. So on the innovation side, I think they're sort of to the point of the book that, that we were mm-hmm. you know, j- just discussing. I think there are some cultural aspects of that and how do we create sort of a culture and environment that, that's hospitable to it uh, and that encourages people to take these risks and doesn't point like um, – Who's the character in The Simpsons? Uh, Nelson, mm-hmm, uh, who, mm-hmm. who points with a ha ha uh, <laughs> when a company fails. Yeah. Um, th- th- but from, from from a and I think we actually kind of underweight the cultural stuff mm-hmm. because it's, it's it's so squishy, right? You right. know, you can talk about a particular policy because that's serious and substantive, but when you talk about mm-hmm. culture, it, it it feels so um, so amorphous and sort of ineffable. But, but on the policy front, I mean, one could not ask this question without saying uh, or without bringing up the topic of immigration, mm-hmm. uh, and that's like the the insane, crazy benefit and tailwind that the U.S. has for decades and decades gained from is the fact that we are the preeminent destination for right. high potential people all around the world. Right. Uh, but uh, it's a multiple stages in their careers, right? In that uh, the universities are the best universities in the world, and so people want to study here here and come here for that. And then the companies are, you know, among the most innovative companies in the world. And so, you know, they want to hire the best people from all around the world. And so people want to come as part of that. And I think, broadly speaking, the U.S. has done a a sort of, not quite done its best to undermine that, but, you know, all but, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Through its immigration policy, and to the extent that universities can help students come here or that companies can uh, help enable the best and brightest to move here as as they would like to, uh, it has been very much despite rather than kind of because right. of, of U.S. immigration policy. Mm, uh, and, and I think that it's, I suspect that that 
that that's an even bigger deal than we think, right? Oh, and, and, and that ultimately that the number of sort of successful technology companies and the sort of degree of success that they that they achieve is that, 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 to, to your point earlier in this conversation, it's limited by talent, mm -hmm. right? And there are so many people around the world who would love nothing more than to be able to go and exercise their talents yep. and their potential here yep. and and a needless barrier stand in the way. And so Well they uh, act like it's a limited resource and it's not. And Lant Pritchett um, at Harvard uh, and, and others have talked about the notion of sort of trillion dollar bills lying mm -hmm. on the sidewalk. But the idea that sort of needless immigration restrictions sort of represent oh. trillions of dollars of mm -hmm. lost opportunity. And so when you talk about sort of various prescriptions and policies for the economy, I mean, normally you're talking billions, tens of billions, mm -hmm. maybe hundreds of billions in terms of gains. And this is sort of a free trillion dollars lying yep. right there, right? Okay. And then the other one, of course, that you, you, you couldn't answer this question and not bring up is, uh, is our, our land policy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, in that, again, I think it, here in Silicon Valley, it's almost like um, there was sort of a devious spy who got here back 30 or 40 years ago and uh, and was sort of charged with the, the mission of figuring out you know, there's, there's sort of too much innovation happening in Silicon Valley and, and in San Francisco. How do you undermine it and help slow it down, right? And I think the policy of, of uh, making it ever more difficult and more expensive to build mm -hmm. and, and therefore ever more difficult and expensive for people to come here would be a really successful way of achieving that, yep, right? Absolutely. And people forget how recent this is, right? Mm -hmm. In that for, for, for the vast majority of American history, housing has, has cost, you know, essentially, you know, approximately the construction cost of a house, right? right? Zoning laws and things like this, you know, they're they're a second half of the 20th century phenomenon. This is mm -hmm. not how American cities have worked for the vast majority of their history. And when you look back at American cities sort of in the periods of their growth, the New Yorks and the Chicago's and in, in the sort of early part of the 20th century and so on, they did not see the kind of housing price increases that sort of we are seeing uh, here in mm -hmm. the Bay Area today. And so we are doing something historically unprecedented. We are sort of, you know, very deliberately and with this, uh, again, the kind of pompous moralizing that, uh, you know, you so correctly call out in so many other instances, um, are doing our best to asphyxiate this growth. I think it kind of has a symmetry to sort of the immigration stuff where uh, the immigration policy prevents foreigners from coming here. Mm -hmm. And housing policy prevents Americans from coming here. Right. And so we're doing everything we can to make sure the spoils and the gains right. well, accru accrue to the existing landowners. What about you moving Stripe to Kansas? Wouldn't Donald Trump like that? <laughs> why don't you, oh, why are you not hiring good Americans? Why don't you train a coal miner to do what you do? You know, I, I would definitely not. I don't think you have to. I think that's I would a bullshit definitely not, well, I was going to say, I would definitely not venture to state that, uh, or state anything about what Donald Trump would think mm -hmm. of any given action mm -hmm. um, uh, and no doubt would pretend uh, or depend rather on the particular hour and day. But mm -hmm. um, <laughs> to, to some degree, we've already started doing this, right? right? And that Stripe's offices, you know, around the world today, mm -hmm. we just opened an engineering office in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Would yeah, we have Seattle? Why didn't you? I'm just. I, I don't. I don't. I think this is yeah. a false argument. This idea that Apple should open a plant in Kansas and yeah. that will solve that. I don't think it solves anything. I think it is just. I think this is where we were founded, and this is yeah. where they are. You know, I mean, this just happens to I, be. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to, uh, like, I think the companies have less agency here than is ascribed to them. It comes mm -hmm. down to where people want to live, right? right. Uh, in that we we will go where the where the people who we want to hire want to live, right? right? Uh, and unfortunately, there are sort of like the, the, there were hundreds of thousands, millions of people who would like to live here but just can't afford, can't afford it. it. If a whole bunch of them start sort of, you know, 
agglomerating in, in Kansas or mm. in Wisconsin or, or Alabama or what have you, sure, we will enthusiastically, merrily, happily, honestly, gleefully open, open an office there, mm-hmm. but it's sort of led by where people want to live first. Right, and then so you co- have one or two there, but not enough. And, and, and companies, I mean, it, maybe it sounds like a sort of abdication, but, but I really mean it. No, uh, it's like it. we kind of have to be followers there because yeah. we, we, we can tell people where to live. Right, although some people want you to do that. Uh, the world would be much simpler if companies could, uh, yeah. although I don't think it would be better. All right. So last question. Entrepreneur, what would be your tip for an entrepreneur? What's a big honking mistake made? Or something uh, you did yeah. that was really great. Like, that was fantastic, what I just did there. All, 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 all the... Generally speaking, and I mean this seriously, um, uh, all of the really good things that I'm most proud of that Stripe has done, um, uh, they, they've been done by others. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's sort of... Uh, if ever I might get a sort of swollen head from sort of Stripe success, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to go back very far through the list of, you know, really cool things that I think we've done uh, where it's sort of abundantly clear that they were they were done, they were led, they were conceived of you know, whole nine yards uh, by others. And generally speaking, uh, and I think maybe I've said this to you before, I think it's of a little bit too much attention is given to the founders yeah. um, in that, you know, we're here as... as I don't know, um, as, as delegates uh, right. on, 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 on behalf of, exactly, of, of this much larger group. But uh, on the advice point, um, two perhaps. Um, first, and, and this has been given umpteen ways by others, but you know, it's a cliche for a reason, almost everything is fixable except legal issues, um, breaches of the law, and, and sort of a culture that, that uh, is ever complicit in or sort of condones that, and a bad product. like. Mm-hmm. So many other things that people kind of get wrapped up in or sort of you know spend too much time on, just do something reasonable and move on. It's, mm. it's fixable later. I think the, the two things that are almost impossibly difficult to fix in a company are a culture that is not scrupulous about obeying the law and even kind of the law in a broad sense about mm-hmm. just like basic ethics, right? Yeah. And then secondly, just a bad product. Mm-hmm. And you can delude yourself to, you know, to immense degree. And, you know, there are some uh, you know, people who are, fabulously talented at sort of the, the sales and the showmanship that go with the company so they can kind but of paper over a, a bad product for sort of longer than they should. But but ultimately, you know, you, you cannot fool nature there. And then the other piece of advice uh, would be, uh, and I, I think this one might be useless because I don't think anyone believes it uh, until they're actually in it themselves, uh, but startups are harder than you'd think. And, mm-hmm. and they're hard, harder than you'd think even knowing that they're harder than you'd think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Stripe has been sort of, improbably fortunate, right? In that we started the company, uh, we, we, we launched six and a half years ago. And so we're, we're an incredibly young company in some sense. And we're, we're so lucky to have been able to sort of reach the scale that we have, you know, so, so quickly. And so in that sense, we're sort of in, you know, some small percentage of, you know, all companies, all technology companies ever started in Silicon Valley. But even for Stripe, it's been extraordinarily difficult. And that's despite the huge tailwind of luck that, you know, we benefited from. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think it's, it's you know, like other things in, in, in life where you, you hear the advice, but you can't internalize it until you right. actually experience it firsthand. You know, I'm not sure how useful the exhortation is, but uh, they really are hard. Hard startups. That's a very You know good this. Thing. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But everything is fixable. You're absolutely right about that. Anyway, Patrick, this has been a super fantastic interview. I really enjoyed it. I think it's going to be really interesting to a lot of entrepreneurs to hear your thoughts on a lot of these things. And thank you for being so 
honest. I know that sounds weird, but I don't get a lot of that. I'll tell you. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, it, w uh, it was great talking to you. Thank you for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Flipboard CEO Mike McHugh. Enjoy CEO Ron Johnson and Code 2040 CEO Laura Weidman Powers, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference, which is coming up. And we've got some big names we still have to announce. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, a company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you for our producer, to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.